Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. I'm Matthew, your host. Today we're talking about ethical questions from The Boys Season 2. With all that more with special guest Abby Nyman. Right after this commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. As I said, I'm Matthew. I'm your host. A couple of quick things I wanted to um, lead with. First of all, um, I am uh, back after my hiatus. Thank you all so much for your patience. I got married. I have changed my name. My name is now Matthew Fox instead of Matthew West Fox. So you might see that be a little different. My full name actually is Matthew Davis McCreary Fox. Uh, Davis being my uh, original middle name. McCreary being my new wife's uh, last name. We took each other's last names and middle names. So thank you so much. Sorry we missed two weeks, but we're back now. And before we jump into the boys, I just want to make one quick point. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we put out an episode about um, the whole controversy that had happened around John Boyega and the character of Finn and how uh, in the Star Wars uh, most recent trilogy and how that character had really been treated very badly and how um, John Boyega especially had been talking very openly about the racism that he saw, I think quite correctly, really at the heart of how he was treated and, and, and all the problems therein. Um, myself and another great guest, Jared, um, took on that top topic. Uh, we'd been planning to talk about it even before the, the John Boyega had been talking about the racial aspect of it. And I think we did a pretty good episode of talking about, you know, how in the story of the character of Finn was treated. And we made reference to the, the racial dynamics of it and talked some about that. But we also really acknowledged that as two white guys, that really wasn't our lane and maybe wasn't the thing that we were the best to comment on. Um, and I think that there's a reason why we took that approach, but I had a very good conversation with a friend of mine recently who does a lot of good thinking about this, and he really pointed out that even even putting it in those terms, you know, one of the things that, that we weren't even able to be talk about as much is that the thing is that the racism underlies every part of it, and that there's so much of an extent to which the racial aspect of it is uh, an important part of the story that maybe two white guys talking about it really wasn't the the best perspective on it. And I, I think he is right, and I think that's one that I'm I I'm happy with that episode. I'm glad we did it. But I think we probably could have done a lot more maybe to bring on another voice or to really try to highlight what the issues that we could talk about were and to maybe point you towards some other voices. So there have been some other great black content creators um, talking about this question. Uh, I'm going to include links to some of those uh, at the end of the episode because I think those are really important and, you know, good ways to not just be hearing my perspective or perspectives of folks like me um, on an issue that is, you know, important for Star Wars, important for story development, important for all these kind of questions, but for which race is obviously kind of a, an underlying aspect to all of it. So uh, thank you so much to that friend who um, not really called me out, but called me in in a way that I really appreciate. Please know that I'm always going to try and do better with this podcast. Anytime you hear stuff like that or you think, you know, they've got an interesting perspective here, but they're missing something or something I said kind of bothered me, please reach out. Always happy to talk about it. Always happy to listen and, and see how we can do better. Because I think more than anything, that's my goal with the podcast is to talk about these stories, figure out how these stories and the conversations around them can teach me to be a better person as well as a podcaster and teach all of us to be, you know, better people in the world. So putting those two things aside, now let's jump into our actual topic. And we have a special guest today. Um, as I said, my uh, colleague, Abby Nyman. Um, Abby, I know, has been a, a fan of the podcast for a while and is actually just getting her own podcast started. She and I have been constantly talking back and forth about the boys, and I know she's got a lot of great thoughts on it. So, Abby, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Ready to talk about some Nazis. Nice, nice. And just for our listeners who haven't, uh, you've commented a lot uh, in the Stranded Panda group, but for those who don't know you, tell us a bit about yourself. Um... That's my least favorite question in the whole world. <laughs> like entirely. The second it gets asked, my entire mind goes bl- blank completely. Um, so I'll just say that I'm a big fan of TV and media in general, and I like talking about it. Uh, I am currently in the works of starting up my own podcast talking about Disney and Pixar movies nice. in a little bit more silly of a manner than this, but <laughs> I love both aspects. So. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to your Disney uh, podcast and, and getting you back on to uh, take something silly and fun and, and dive into some of the ethical questions of some Disney stuff. Yeah. Um, so let's just start with the boys. Um, what's kind of your general thought on the show? What what pulls you into it? What what makes you like it and like talking about it? Well, I, first of all, love the show. I think it's great. I, from the first episode, like I was hooked into this, which is pretty weird for me with a superhero show. 
Um, but I really enjoy how they like kind of understand the uh, political struggles of our, our world today. Yeah. Uh, I think they do a really good job of talking about those and then just like smacking you in the face with like, don't be a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, yeah, I, I didn't I think we'd need that. It- in the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, um, what are some ethical questions you want us to hear discussed? And one of them was like, you know, th- I know this is a hot take, but I think Nazis are bad. And I, I'd agree. Nazis are bad. I think yeah. the show is pretty firm on that. Um, but also there's some really interesting things about how insidious that kind of like, you know, uh, totalitarian fascist were better than everyone else thinking can be in terms of how it um, seeps into things. Oh, absolutely. And the way that it can be taken as racism or classism along with just pure Nazi yeah. I mean, one of the things I think is so interesting, and we commented some of this on the um, on Pandavision, another strand event, another stranded panda podcast, where we went episode by episode through the boys. And we talked about how, you know, the political issues that this show is wrestling with in terms of its own fictional world, but that mirror our own, were certainly true a year and a half ago or whenever they were writing this. And, and then uh, more recently when they were making it. But the degree to which it is speaking to things happening right now in our own world is, is really kind of uncanny. And I think a really great um, you know tribute to the writers in terms of how you know just aware they are of what's happening in their own world and how they can tell a story that mirrors that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with – I know I've been talking about it a lot already, but the Nazism, like, up until the last three months, that's kind of – I mean, it's a thing that exists in the United States, but it's never felt – as prevalent as it does now for me. Mm-hmm. I can and... understand that. Yeah, I think both <laughs> in the last couple of months and even in the last couple of years, ever since Charlottesville and stuff like that, I think there's been a real awakening of just how real this kind of hate is. And yeah. I, I think one of the things that honestly, I, uh, one of my favorite scenes in the whole um, series this this ep- this season was in the uh, beginning of the seventh episode, where we basically see in ninety seconds or so a young man get radicalized and yes. how. Listening to that kind of hate, the that propaganda and all that can just drive you more and more till, you know, you just wind up shooting some random person. Yeah. And the way that after shooting the random person, he just honestly was in shock that what he had thought, what he had been told wasn't true. It's yeah. that wholehearted belief, which is terrifying. Yeah. It's a real kind of like you can see that the spell was broken and – as much as I could relate to that moment, I, I almost think it might sadly be the most unrealistic part of it. Is that a lot of time, like, you know, you look at like a Kyle Rittenhouse or someone like that. I don't know if even the folks who are being radicalized to do domestic terrorism are, you know, having that wake up moment. I certainly hope so. But it, it definitely shows just how, how deep that can go. Yeah. I mean, real um, life, it's a lot harder to have that wake up moment because we don't have that uh, kind of witch trial mentality of, well, if right. they die, they're not an X, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's something that, like, I think science fiction or superhero shows like this can do is they can take the issues from our own world and push the examples to the point where it becomes a lot clearer, um, yeah. you know, but still has very much relevance. I think one of the things I also really love about this show, and I love this in season one, but in this season, I think it really ran with this, is the cynicism. Um, and, and I don't mean just like like... Anyone can do a kind of cynical, you know, superhero show. But I mean, in most worlds, superheroes are heroes, you know, Mm -hmm. and they are great people and they do good. And maybe they're vigilantes and no one understands them, but they all have hearts of gold. And for the most part, the world exists the same way as it did just with now rich billionaires or aliens from Kryptonite or whoever it is running around taking care of things. And what I love is that this show, and in this season, I feel like we went much deeper into how deep this whole world is, you know, superheroes existed, and then a commercial entity came along. I mean, as, as we later learned, they created them. But it, and, and it's now not just about what do the powers these people have, but what's the power to monetize them. And I feel like this season really pushed into both just how deep that PR world is and the, you know, Maeve needing to be the right kind of lesbian and not a bisexual and not a drunk or... Um, you know, the power struggle between um, the uh, Edgar who just wants to, you know, sort of use this to, um, you know, generate money and to, and to profit and people like Homelander and then Stormfront to want to use their powers for their own agendas. Like, I, I just really love the way it, it, it brings out that question and says, yeah, in a 
in a capitalist world where everything is seen as a potential, you know, investment, that's exactly what happened with um, superheroes. Yeah. And I also really appreciate how it doesn't really cast villains and heroes. Like, obviously, our Homelander, not a hero, despite being a superhero. Uh, but our good guys aren't heroes either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so let, let's use that to, to talk about uh, some of the characters in terms of who are heroes and villains. Uh, and we'll start with um, uh, the easiest part, I think. Who, who do we think are the biggest villains in the show right now? I mean, at the end of the season, who knows if she's alive, but uh, Stormfront is definitely yeah. real high on my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think in some ways she's kind of the flat out, like, just clearly she's the Nazi. She wants the white race to get all powerful. Um, and I think kind of in, in that way it's kind of easy. But part of what I like about the show is then it goes so much deeper because by the end of the season, clearly she's taken off the board to some extent. Um, as, mm-hmm. as a friend said, she got Anakin'd. Um <laughs> Everything burned up and all her limbs are gone. Um but, like, so she's, I think, the easiest, like, let's punch the Nazi. And I, I love that we had a scene of her getting punched many times. Yes. Um, beyond her, who, like, who do we think is the biggest villain going into the next season? I feel like they're setting up the congresswoman whose name, Newman, I believe. Yeah. Congresswoman Newman. Yeah. I feel like they're setting her up to be kind of a big bad for the next season. But uh-huh. it's questionable where her bad will fall with yeah. her kind of working on the side of the good air quotes good guys at this yeah, point. I, I think she's gonna start in an anti-hero world of some regard. And I, I think her name is I think it's Valerie Newman. I'm just gonna call her AOC because she's so <laughs> flat out in AOC representation. She very clearly is AOC. Down um, the and we'll definitely sick. talk about her, but I I think to to me I think when I think of like the pure villain, I feel like we're kind of on this this season, we sort of started the idea with a conflict between Homelander and Edgar. Mm-hmm. And then all season long, it turned into this thing with Stormfront. And I think now we're back to the heart of that battle. And that's to me, that's going to be one of the biggest questions is, does Homelander or Edgar become the biggest villain? Yeah. Because – go ahead. I was kind of disappointed with how they dealt with Edgar, like – I understand he's supposed to be the shadow person, but it almost feels like they portrayed him too much as a shadow person. Yeah. And that we didn't really get to see him pulling the strings he's pulling. So I'm hoping next season we're going to get more of that. I think so, yeah. Because, you know, one of the things we talked about a lot during the season was, is Stormfront working for him? Is he sort of using Stormfront as a cat's paw to, like, drag things out? And on some level I, I certainly was thinking that the whole heads exploding thing was some something that he was pulling the strings on and so mm-hmm. when we realized that it was AOC doing it I think I had the same other kind of feeling of you of we've built Edgar up to be this super scary behind the scenes master manipulator I really want to see in the next season that he is actually like that that he's really playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers and I don't know what that's going to look like but I think I would I, I think they're setting him up to be potentially the the real big bad villain because Homelander yeah. is clearly so evil, but also such an idiot. And I don't think they ever actually make him sympathetic, but they make us see how screwed up he is and how screwed up his background is that I, I feel like I have trouble hating him in quite the same way I could in Edgar. Yeah. Like Homelander is scary in that he is just all, instinct he doesn't think about anything he just does whatever feels good in the moment Mm -hmm. but he he doesn't feel evil to me in that like manipulative conniving villainous way right i mean i think part of what we saw with stormfront was that he he kind of had this agenda all along of his own form of supremacy of superhero supremacy but then I, I, I feel like what happens with him and her is a pretty literal case of being led around by your dick. You know, like mm-hmm. he she starts going about like, no, no, we have to protect our white race, protect our white race. And he never quite says this, but I sort of feel like what he's thinking is, yeah, yeah, protect the white race. Girl, pretty girl, say protect white race. Girl, pretty. You know, yeah. like he's just he's not on that level. Yeah. And especially coming off the last season with his love life there. It's very clear that he is easily 
controlled and manipulated by strong female presences. Right. So having a strong female person saying, yeah, white race, white power, it's he's going to follow because that's where his dick points. Yeah. <laughs> now, he clearly has some supremacy feelings of his own. Do you think that he shared or at least the beginning shared the um, uh, the the white racism that she has? I don't. I think he is a soup supremacist versus a white yeah. supremacist. Yeah, and I I kind of wish they'd explored that a little more, but maybe they'll explore it next season. I I, I think I commented on the pot the uh, this uh, I think I pod yeah, I think I commented on the Pandavision podcast a few times that that in my mind I feel like he thinks a black person with superpowers is far closer to his version of perfection than a white person without. In a way, the Stormfront, yeah. I think, would see it the exact opposite. And I I liked that question, but I wish we'd explored that a little more. Yeah, I do think we got a glimpse of it towards the end. I think it was in the last episode where uh, Stormfront is talking to his son and saying, mm-hmm. you know, we have to protect the race and it's white genocide or whatever horrible things she's saying. Right. Uh, and he just kind of has this look like, I, eh, yeah. okay, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with it, but. Yeah, it's definitely, a, um, he, he, it's a kind of moment he sees he's over his own head and I'll be, clearly they left her alive for a reason. And so I think there's going to be some interesting dynamics there between the two of them. Yeah. Um, I, re- I know listening to the Pandavision, you guys were talking about what she was saying in German. Did anyone ever look that up? Yeah, so I decided I actually went and looked it up, and it, it's basically just kind of like sweet nothings. You know, she says, It was so beautiful how the three of us sat there in the shade of an apple tree. Do you remember the day, Frederick? Chloe's arms out of the car window. We found the perfect spot by the river in the shade of an apple tree. It was the first time Chloe ate fresh apples. Kind of creepy in its own way, because she's the person who we've set up to be, like you said, like the clearest, most specific, most evil of evil of evils. And here she is just talking about this sweet moment with her husband and daughter that I think if you didn't know who she was, if she just says those words, everyone can relate to her. Yeah. And I, I think there's something kind of really wonderful there about they they had her say that in Germans so who don't quite know it. But then you read it. And you're like, oh, ooh, that's that's even creepier. Yeah. I wonder if they considered like the kind of double meaning in the apple with the way mm, that so. uh, Nazis held cyanide in like hidden capsules in their teeth the cyanide is drawn from the apple seeds oh i thought it was apricots i think it's both actually okay but cool. yeah that, know, that actually like, be really uh, interesting yeah the other the other thing that i thought is um you know the apple is always associated with, like the the apple tree in the garden of eden uh even though it's probably actually a pomegranate seed but right. <laughs> who knows <laughs> Um, the whole idea of like, you know, biting from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and that mm-hmm. she's going back to a time of like innocence in some way. Um, yeah. Although yeah, I don't know if you can ever really count a Nazi as good. You no, know, I don't think – I certainly don't think you can. I certainly don't think you can. Um, but it's, it's just – it's a very interesting question and I wonder if that's yeah. something they're going to pick up on again. Um, yeah. I hope that we do get a little bit more of her story in the next season that they don't just let her be dead. Yeah. I think that would be that would definitely be interesting. Um, so, what about some of the other characters who originally came off as villains and now have kind of taken some interesting leaps? Um, and the one I want to go with actually to start with is the Deep. Um, the Deep was presented to us very intentionally in the first season as not even like evil to be hated and feared as much as like evil to be like looked down on and driven away. You know, he's the classic like I have power. I'm going to use this power to sexually abuse people. You know, he, uh, you know, 100% takes advantage of that, takes advantage of Starlight, um, uh, um, you know, is this horrible person. And then over the course of these two se- two seasons, they've worked so hard to make us feel sympathetic for him, or at least to have some empathy for him, or some, you know, ability to kind of see the pain he's going and his attempts to be a better person in this clumsy, stupid, he has no idea what the hell he's doing because he's still kind of an idiot and a jerk way. Um, what what's your kind of take on the deep and his his plot arc in this season? Yeah, I don't know that I ever got too sympathetic or empathetic for the deep. Uh, mm-hmm. It would definitely be more akin to pity. Yeah, it, he is the essence of a white teenage rapist. He, mm-hmm. but his bright future, 
That's what yeah. he was taught, and I understand why he's there, but I'm I can't feel bad for him for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and when I say I don't think that I feel sympathy or, or empathy for him necessarily, it's that I think that the show is trying to encourage you to do so, but not even in a way that I think the show is saying it forgives him. Just more that the show is kind of trying to make you uncomfortable. Of yeah, look at what this person's gone through. Look look at the feelings you're gonna have for this person, and remember who he was and what he did. Um, yeah, I definitely think it succeeded in that most. I think it was in the first season when uh, he's assaulted himself, yeah. which is never fun to see happening to anyone on screen. But when it happens to someone who's already actively assaulted someone else on screen, yeah, it makes it it tugs the heartstrings a little bit that he got to in some way experience what he put someone else through. That's probably right. as close to empathetic as I could get to him, just mm-hmm. because he was feeling empathy, I hope, yeah. for Starlight and for anyone yeah. else that he's done that to. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really true. And I think that, um, you know, when talking about other shows, I think one of the things that um, I've often been very critical of is a show that gives us a pretty cheap, unearned uh, redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at you, Kylo Ren, right now. <laughs> um, you know, and I feel like... I still don't think they're there, but I think they are trying to show us like what a maybe not even a redemption arc is too strong, but a like like could you could you see getting to a point where the deep was helping the boys and we were able to if not forgive him, root for him? I don't I mean, I think I root for him because I love the actor, which yeah. is not me rooting for the deep, but me being very attracted to Nate. Uh, yeah. from <laughs> Nate Archibald Gossip Girl. From Gossip yes. Girl you know, you've always got to help him out. <laughs> he will forever be Nate in my mind, and it does not matter what he's in. Uh, mm-hmm. So that it, it muddies things for me. But yeah. I don't know that I could ever really root for the deep. Mm-hmm. I could root for his actions and, like, if he's helping the boys out, like, want him to succeed. But I'm still going to hope he gets it in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very fair. And I think that that's, um, you know, he may be one of those people who has to, you know, die nobly to 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 make to to do something better. Because I and I like that he had that moment with Starlight where, yeah, you know, the she's happy that he's there to help, but she starts to talk to him. And he's like, "Fuck you! I don't want to talk to you." Yeah, um, which I thought was also because again, it just it is such a trope. I think that by this point, he comes back, he helps her. She's like, "Oh, you didn't really mean it. It's all forgiven." You know, and it's like, "No, he raped her. That yeah. that can't be forgiven. That can't just be forgotten about." And I'm. I feel like more than anything, it's what this show is doing is it's it's trying to say that with the deep, especially, but with all these characters, we want to break out of the entire idea of heroes and villains. You know, yeah, the deep is a person who has had some terrible experiences that made him into the the person who he is. They explain, but don't in any way excuse or justify the terrible things that he has done. And now he's trying to maybe be aware of that and do better things. And that doesn't forgive him the terrible things he's done it also doesn't erase the things he's trying to do now he's just a person with his history you know and i i feel like that's where a lot of the, the folks in the show are yeah i felt like they drew a pretty interesting parallel to starlight's mom and her mm, kind of redemption so. with the deep because obviously the deep assaults starlight she doesn't forgive him nor should she forgive him if she does not right. want to uh, but uh her mom also really betrays her just yeah. in every manner has been lying to her since she's a child and she's deeply hurt by that and she's angry but unlike the deep when the mom comes back she does on at least on some levels forgive the mom yeah and I think that's true use some of that true. forgiveness to find her way back to some form of religion and i think here's the first thing that comes to mind and, and tell me if you would see it in the same way well first of all i think that there's there's an interesting connection there especially because what the mother did is no means rape by any means, no. but it is a direct assault against the bodily integrity uh, and the bodily autonomy of Starlight. Mm-hmm. You know, she fundamentally changed Starlight, you know, did something to Starlight's body that she could never consent to and forever changed who she is and what she, how she is as a person in the world. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if the, the connection there is, or the, the difference there is that for the mother, you can at least make a case that on some level – she was doing this for Starlight's benefit. And it very much gets into the whole, like, you know, dance mom idea of 
how much are you doing this for your child's benefit versus how much are you doing this because you want the glory of your child benefiting. But there's at least some aspect of I'm doing this out of love to help them. Um, The deep is just he's, you know, he's an asshole. He's got this power. He wants to get off. And so he's going to make her blow him. And it's purely about his own gratification without any even pretense of an altruistic idea. Um, Clearly, there's also a much deeper relationship between her and the mother. But do you think that maybe that's part of it? What what separates those two acts? Yeah, I I definitely think that that's some of it. I also think that Obviously, the relationships are different. There's a connection to their mo- to the mother that there isn't to the deep. But there's also a difference in how they each come to Starlight to apologize. The deep mm. comes in being like, see, I'm sorry, I'm helping, I'm sorry, I'm helping, look, I'm helping. Yeah. Whereas the mother actually kind of comes back humbly of like, yeah, I messed this up. I yeah. shouldn't have done that, and I'm sorry. And I'd like to move forward it however you will have me to move forward. Yeah. And that's just so much more sincere of an apology. Mm-hmm. It kind yeah, of I, I think that, is worth the redemption. Ahead. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think depending on how many seasons we get, we might see the deep go in that same direction. Or I think we might see that because of who he is and just how he has this like, you know, basically this 13-year-old boy who's never really fully grown up attitude. Um, mm-hmm. that he may never get to that point. I think that's an interesting dire- direction for it. Yeah, I'd really um, like to see more of the different heroes' like childhoods and backstories because we kind of – we got some of Starlight and we got Homelander, but we yeah. don't really know how anyone else was raised. Yeah. I think we've seen some of that with A-Train and his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and certainly we got um, – he's not a powered person, but we got a lot more of Butcher's history here. Yes. Um, and background, but yeah, I think I think it'd be an interesting thing because it'd be, especially as, you know, the whole world now knows that Compound V was this intentional thing. You know, in theory, all these people should be having these conversations. Um, yeah, the character who is the literal black box, we know nothing about them. Um, even if they, I think we they refer to us as a him, but we don't even know that <laughs> Black Noir. You know, we saw Black Noir sobbing in a hallway when mm-hmm. when they found out uh, that. You know, their powers came from Compound V. We have no idea what it is. I'd love to know. I, that's a character I want to know so much about. I think they're doing such a good job of frustrating us, of like never quite giving us that. They are. And I love every little tidbit we get about him, including his peanut allergy. Him showing the the bunny to the little kid and trying <sighs> to be like, look, cute bunny, while holding the severed head <laughs> in his other hand. Such a good moment. So ridiculous. Um, let's talk about someone else who was um, very much on the side of the bad guys, but I'm curious what you think of her. Um, and that's Ashley. Yeah. Um, what What's your kind of take on, on her? And just for those who forget, Ashley is the basically PR person who um, used to work for Madeline, now starts out being get, given Madeline's job, then Homelander fires her, and then she comes back. And she's in charge of PR, and she on the one hand is used to being the person with all the power she let you know she bullied around starlight and told them what to do but this season i think really realizes that she does not have the power and if she pisses off homeland or stormfront they're just going to flat out kill her with no questions asked um what what's your kind of take on what we see from her and where where she falls as a villain or hero or any of the any of the rest villain or hero i don't know but she is the most fascinating character to me just because of the position she's in because she is mortal more so than any of our soups but she's also actively misleading the rest of i guess her species really yeah to their own harm it's almost like a stockholm syndrome type deal where she is really working against herself and against her own best interests in her own best interests as well because you know if she doesn't do a good job stormfront or homelander will kill her Mm -hmm. but i don't think she even realizes that until later on in the season and from the very beginning of the first season she's working against humankind to say no they're heroes see believe them they're they're good people and she i think is a kind of wonderful take on the trope of you know, the person who's allowed within the, the, the castle, you mm-hmm. know, and is thinks they are part of the ruling group 
and thinks that, you know, don't worry, I'm safe. You know, everyone else out there, they're in trouble. I'm safe and I'm helping them. And then at some point through the story, they realize that they're just as disposable as all the rest of those peasants outside, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and what I think is there's some great quotes about um, the mundanity of e- the mundanity of evil, you know, that sometimes evil is Stormfront saying, um, you know, we need to rescue the white race from genocide and all her absolute nonsense. And sometimes it's someone like um, uh, Ashley saying, you know, the ratings are down. We've got to have you go out there and, and kill some more people to get the ratings back up. Mm-hmm. Um I, I thought one of the most powerful scenes in the whole show, the whole series, was first of all, it's just that, that wonderful flip with Maeve where they go from, you know, we are we are, you know, family values, we're a Christian company, lesbian, no no homosexuality at all. And then they realize, wait a minute, Maeve is a lesbian, but it can be marketable. Yeah. You know? And they just make her that. And then Ashley's all on board. She's like, you know, pride train. Let's show the rainbow flag. Let's profit off of this uh, marketability. And then she walks in and sees uh, Maeve with two guys in bed. And her first thought is, this isn't lesbian. Yeah. You know, this won't sell. Yeah. There also was the, the similar scene where she brought in the blind superhero. Mm, because yeah. diversity does very well with the millennials. Oh, God. <sighs> Yeah. And it's, she's all about the optics. And Mm -hmm. the optics are such an important thing when you're doing anything. I mean, even down to this podcast, you are concerned with how you're talking and what you're saying. But when the optics overtake your morality, Mm -hmm. you've got some problems. (laughs) And I think part of what makes it so awful is that what she's doing is incredibly tokenistic, you know, in terms of like she we want to have someone who checks a box. OK, let's get a disabled superhero and put him up there. And and what Homelander does is evil and terrible. And but part of what he's pointing out is like, do you really know that this person is able to go out in the field and deal with the kind of things we have to deal with? And, um, it, you know, I think it may well be that that a, a blind superhero could absolutely deal with all those things. But. Ashley hasn't prepared him for that at all. Ashley, Ashley hasn't done any of that work to see, like, how would this happen? It's just, oh, let's get someone who checks the box. Let's get them in there. Uh, let's not worry about if they're good enough or they're strong enough or they have the abilities. Let's just throw them in there. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's that's the worst kind of tokenism because it's it's not about him at all. It's not about, like, is this the right hero? And great. He's also, like, bringing more voices to the table. It's let's just shove someone in there to check the box. Yeah. I do find it interesting, too, that the biggest threat that we've seen to any of our heroes is other heroes, not even the mm-hmm. supervillains, but or, I don't remember the other term, the super terrorists. Yeah. Uh, soups. They're all soups. Yes. But it's it's been really Homelander or Stormfront are the threats, and everything else we've seen has been – it was a plane crash. It was right. a robbery. Nothing that was going to be bad enough that a blind superhero could not handle it. The only thing that was actively dangerous to that blind superhero was Homelander being a dick. Yeah. No, it's so true. It's so true. And and I feel like that's the thing that the show has really been working with is this question of, you know, because on the one hand – like Homelander is probably the only one who could hurt the deep, you know, or or maybe Stormfront – but Edgar can hurt him with the with the money power or with the economic power, the social power. And Stormfront at the start of the show was bringing up all these questions about like, you know, does Edgar have to control the story? You know, and that when this is all about the brand and it's all about marketing, then if you can seize the public attention, then you can control that and you can take all the power from Edgar. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's a dynamic I really want to see played with next season because it seemed like Edgar just faded into the background, as you said, for most of this season. Yeah, and I think they really set up Stormfront to do a lot of that with all of her social media knowledge and her teams of people making horrible memes. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of who picks up that mantle now that she's at least (laughs) semi-nuked. For sure, for sure. So uh, we'll move on to other characters in a second, but just kind of wrapping that up. So 
what what's your take on Ashley at this point? What do you think of her in terms of how she fits into this show and, and morally and where she might go next season? I don't know where she's going, but I'm very interested to see. But morally, I think she started in a pretty bad spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I really only see her staying there. I'd love to see her stand up to the soups, even at her own peril, and yeah. kind of do what's right. But I don't think we're going to get that from her. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be curious to see what's the effect of that scene she had with Maeve. Because it's interesting that what Maeve says is, can you just for a moment be a human being? And, and I think well, clearly what she means there is, stop seeing me as a marketing tool, but have some actual human empathy. You know, have some actual human feeling for my love life is not a marketing tool. It's mm-hmm. a real thing. And and a- Ashley says, like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. What what do you think she means by that? Is that her having some kind of awareness of just how badly she's been treating Maeve? Uh, is that just her, like, trying to say, like, oh, Maeve, I'm sorry. Just get back out there. What What's going on there, do you think? No, I do. I do think that that's genuine empathy. And we see a lot of Ashley struggling within herself in the last few episodes. There was one scene where her hair was just falling out yeah, just by the handful, which I could only assume was from stress. Yeah. But I don't know that it's enough for her to work against her own self-interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be very interested in that, especially if if Edgar and the inner workings of that company become a much bigger deal. You know, I don't think we've ever seen Edgar and Ashley directly interact, but I'll be curious to see, like, what does her role become? Because... I think you're right. I think in that moment, she, I don't think she's saying, I am so sorry, as in like, I'm so sorry for how I've treated you. I think she's kind of, she's having a moment of realizing like, Maeve doesn't get to be a person. Maeve is a celebrity. And so Maeve has to act by the rules of celebrity. And she's, she's, she's having a moment of empathy for that. But she's not necessarily saying like, I'm doing the wrong thing. She's saying like, you know, this is, this is, the, the price of doing business and it mm-hmm. sucks and I'm sorry for you. And maybe I'm going to question it, but I don't think she necessarily sees herself as bad there yet, but yeah. but maybe, she, maybe. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's that she sees herself as bad. I think it's that she feels bad for Maeve. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. And it's, it's part of how I think that the, all this show is such a commentary on kind of celebrity culture, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and um, certainly, you know, we've gotten a lot of stories about stars really feeling like they have to date this person for the media or the paparazzi or whatever it is. And, this is all just an extension of that. Yeah. Um, shifting more into the heroic, but still very uh, morally gray. Uh, let's talk about Butcher. What's kind of your take on on him and where he goes with all this? Ugh. Butcher was rough this season. I wanted him to be happy so much. And mm-hmm. we got none of that. Yeah. He got like 40 seconds of happiness. And then that was it. Uh, and I can't. I can't even be mad, like, at the story for not letting him be happy because I really feel like it was his fault. Yeah. How, how so? It, he found his wife. He found out that she had a son. And he couldn't see past the soup. Yeah. And I think that that is really they're drawing the line that it, it's just as racist as Homelander not being able to see past the mortal. Mm-hmm. It's deciding someone's worth based on a factor they can't control yeah you mean in, ter- in terms of ryan the yeah. son yeah yeah I-, I think there's kind of a punching up punching down thing that makes it like not quite the same but i think you're certainly right that there's there's a very strong similarity there um and, and definitely yeah I-, I have a similar feeling like i'm by about the middle of the season i was done feeling like he was even an anti-hero i just to me butcher was one more villain and, and butcher was a brilliant illustration of the kind of star trek star wars principle you know of you know you hate something long enough you you become just as bad as the thing you hate mm-hmm. um which i don't think is always true but i think there's there's some truth to that yeah. um but yeah then the way they if if he had really just turned on his son and tried to betray you know his wife but to get her back i would have been so angry and i feel like i would have just been i'm done with him but the fact that he did have that turn and that he saw how much his son loved Ryan and I think started to love Ryan through her because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that was such a powerful moment. One where I was really happy for him that he did the right thing, even though you're right. It's all his other choices have led to this point that, that gets Becca killed. Yeah. That, that last episode, I really, 
I was so happy and then so angry and then so happy and then so sad and just all from Butcher. Yeah. When he made the plan to betray his wife and to give the kid away to Edgar, I wanted to scream. Because mm-hmm. that is really the most evil thing I think he could do. Because yeah. it's betraying someone that he th- is saying that he loves so much. And just actively it, hurting her. It, it kind of shows the mindset he'd gone into. And I think this is one that, that's interesting to explore of that when, you know, you're you're fighting for not your loved one anymore, but your memory of a loved one from mm. many years ago. And, and Butcher's the kind of guy who, you know, like the way his, his mindset works, it no longer was about connecting with this person again. It was about getting his wife back. Yeah. You know? And the whole thing about the first time he tries to go get her and then the second time, Becca is like this possession to him, you know, that he has to get back and rescue from Homelander. And the idea that he thinks there's even any possibility that Becca would want to be with him after Ryan is gone, it just shows that until that moment he doesn't understand her, you know, because he's not trying to relate with her as a person she is now. He's just trying to rescue the Becca of 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and, I, I think and not even the Becca of 10 years ago, but the Becca that existed in his mind 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I will say is one thing that I am a little sad about that they I'm a little surprised and a little sad that they went with the story that uh, Becca had uh, been raped by Homelander. Mm-hmm. Because I, what I thought was and I wonder if you were in a similar place at the start of the season, I thought we were going to learn is that. Becca actually had gone willingly with Homelander and maybe now was kind of somewhat of a a victim to be sure and wanted to get away and saw how evil he was. But that, you know, Butcher had always held on to this idea of my pure, perfect Becca would never do this because maybe he didn't really know that much about his own wife and he didn't know yeah. that she wasn't happy and he didn't know that maybe she was the person who might cheat on him with someone like Homelander in some kind of uh, crazy situation. Uh, did you have any of that going into this? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely saw her starstruck at the Christmas party where they interacted with Homelander and like the flashback. And I think mm-hmm. that would have been a much more interesting story and made her a much more interesting character. Yeah. I was a little disappointed on how much her life revolved around men. Yeah. Because now it's now it's, it's 100%. All she was really was a mother. Like she didn't really get any actualization beyond that. She was a mother and she was a wife and that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a victim. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. If she had had some agency in what happened with Homelander and now was in this really like much more complicated situation. I mean, it's not the show needed complexity. There was a lot going on, but I think that could have been an interesting thing to explore. And I do think some of their female characters maybe need some more complexity. <laughs> That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely get to uh, uh, Stormlander. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Starlight. Starlight in a second. Yeah. Um, uh, but so, yes. Yeah, so what, and what's your, your take then on Butcher um, at the end where he decides that the best thing he can do for Ryan is to sort of give him away? I, I listened to the Pandavision, so I know your take on it. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I do think that that was the best choice. I don't think he could have raised Ryan without letting Ryan feel every ounce of the anger and the guilt that he has. Yeah. And I don't I think, think I don't think Butcher is fit to be a parent. Uh, mm-hmm. I I do agree with where you landed on I hope that Butcher comes back. He can be cool Uncle Butcher that yeah. comes to visit every <laughs> once in a while. And, and just but for I, those who didn't hear that podcast, basically the, the heart of our debate was I was – at first, when it, right after I saw it, I think I was really angry that he um, you know, gave the child away because I felt like he was breaking his promise to Becca. Um, and the argument that was being made against me was that um, you know, he came – that moment where right after Becca dies and he looks at Ryan with just hate in his heart and that maybe he's actually going to do violence to Ryan – that he's maybe just not a good enough person yet that he can overcome that. And I, I, so I just, just want to uh, give people a chance to understand what you were, you were coming from Abby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think I, I can understand you. And I think I mean, I'm coming more and more around to that point of view. I still, I want him to be involved with the kid's life. Like you said, like the uncle butcher, um, you know, cause I think it's important that the kid not feel like I killed mommy and now daddy sent me away and wants to never talk to me again. Um, 
but yeah, I, I do think you're right that maybe just having him with Butcher full time would just not be be viable. Yeah. I also think it's important to know that like Ryan doesn't know Butcher. He yeah. met him for a moment as this is my husband from his mom, but he really he knows Homelander much more than he knows Butcher. So right. being suddenly in this weird situation with his dead mom and this man that he's never met who's violent and not kid appropriate i don't think would be a good <laughs> safe fair, situation yeah. for him yeah I, I i don't really want to think about you know butcher at a pta meeting or, you know can you imagine book butcher as like the baseball dad when the umpire calls strikes and balls badly like that oh boy not, i mean i well, actually he i would actually son really playing australian I'd, football but yeah sorry what'd you say i would really love to see like hardcore dad mode butcher I think that would be hilarious. I want him in khakis, but I don't. Oh <laughs> I don't imagine we will ever get that. I don't think we're ever going to see Carl Urban with a dad bod. I think you lose a significant part of the audience <laughs> if you go that direction. You just gain a um, different part of the audience. It's fine. Th- there you go. There you go. Um, so, yeah, what about uh, Huey and Starlight? Um, Starlight, I feel like, is the woman character who we get the most actualization about, although still I feel like her character is not as well developed as a number of the other men are Mm -hmm. um what's your kind of take on her journey and her and Huey's journey uh I first of all really love them as a couple I think that they feed off each other so wonderfully and Mm -hmm. I enjoy that Huey is they kind of bring out the softness in each other yeah uh, but that Huey tends to be the softer of the two and she's more mm, stick it to the man fight him because we can Mm-hmm. which I'm sure comes some from powers. But I also find her relationship with religion incredibly fascinating coming oh, from my experience, which is not having been raised in a very strong religious family or with any sort of Christianity because I'm Jewish. I right. I find her connection to that very – I don't know the word for it, uh, like the Jesus camp. Yeah. I I find that fascinating and really have enjoyed her story of like moving away from it. And then towards the end of this, kind of finding her way back to religion in her own right. Yeah. You know, and I think it's a very real story. I mean, I, I've talked about how I used to be a pastor and I was a pastor of a very liberal church. And, and frankly, a lot of the people who we got as new members or people who are coming to explore were folks who had been raised in really right-wing religion, um, left it, um, or in many cases been told to leave because they were gay or they were divorced or whatever it was, and had spent some time as just like, nope, it's all bad, it's all dumb, kind of where Starlight is in the middle of the season, and then came back because they still felt some kind of a spiritual connection, a spiritual hunger that they wanted to explore, but in a way that was a very different way from where they started but also came in, coming to it with a lot of nervousness, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that I think Starlight does. Um, the, there's also a connection that I saw. Um, what you're saying about Huey kind of reminded me of this. I'm wondering if you see the same way. Because you were saying about how Huey is softer and brings out her, her softness. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if to some extent the idea is that Huey is kind of her canary as well. Because I think part of what we were seeing is Starlight starting to go down the same kind of path that Butcher did. You know, in that she could just become pure cynicism and pure, you know, I'm going to fight from the inside. I'm going to wear their crazy outfits. I'm going to do the things they want me to do so I can screw them over and, you know, to hell with whoever gets in the way. Um, and I feel like she never really goes that far, but that she's definitely tempted in those kind of directions. And that do you think Huey plays a similar kind of canary role for her that he does for uh, Butcher? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about it. I hadn't thought about that before, but I do think that he kind of whether morally or just logistically, he walks her back from the edge a lot. I think it's really true. I, I think because he, he gives her something to believe in again. He He's a reminder to her that there is goodness in the world when all of the images of goodness that she's seen have been shattered and taken away from her. Yeah. And even at the beginning of the season when she's so angry and so hurt by him, a, his apology, again, so much more sincere than the deeps, so much more understandable yep. than the deeps and easier to forgive. Um, but it also kind of shows like that she 
sees hope in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really true. I think that a lot of times shows like this will keep finding contrivances or reasons to keep couples apart. I really hope they don't with those two. I hope that they like allow them to just stay as a couple in some way. Yeah. Um, but what that looks like, who the hell knows? <laughs> And I just really loved both the scene where they hooked up for the first time in front of with the candy machine um, uh-huh. and making fun of each other's candy choices. Because that's just so genuinely like human to do. Mm-hmm. You just tease the, the people you love. Singing along uh, and, and Billy Joel together in the car. Yeah. And then the scene at the very end where he's like, I'm, I have to stop hanging on. And then it's like, no, 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 not you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was so good. I definitely, I he convinced me. I thought he was breaking up with her. And I was like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he seems the sort who would just say something big and dramatic and not have any idea how it's actually going to be heard. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Just to go one other character and then we'll kind of uh, wrap up. Um, Maeve, what, what's your kind of take on, um, how, how do you feel about Maeve and how her character w- uh, was treated this season and where Ugh. she went? I felt so sad for Maeve this season. She was trying so hard and just kept getting shit on. Yeah. Just (sighs) from Ashley telling her she couldn't be bi, which just such infinite bi erasure, Mm -hmm. which sucks, uh, to her finally not even through her own actions being forced out of the closet and then getting to Mm -hmm. be with the woman that she loves only for that woman to decide that it wasn't safe and it wasn't a good fit for her and to take off it was it was heartbreaking it really was because Maeve seems like someone who is so much a a victim of the of the situation she's in you know because she's been corrupted by it in some ways to be sure but she's also kind of like um, Starlight's mother. You know, she she has found a way to justify everything that she's done all along the way. Mm-hmm. And the justifications make a lot of sense. Um, but then, you know, um, you know, all the stuff about Elena and having to, like, protect Elena from Homelander in these ways that are obviously incredibly hurtful to Elena. But she thinks she has to do, to do this, to do the right thing. And... Um, you know, I think we could go we could argue to the end of time about whether or not she she should have stayed on that plane and either tried to save or quite possibly to die to the people on that plane, um, yeah. but to not leave them be alone. Um, I think she's in some ways the hardest character to pin down in any way, because she is very morally gray, but everything she does is also so understandable. You know, mm-hmm. and you can see her as this person who spent a long time. In some ways, it, it, it kind of is similar to the thing I was saying before about redemption arcs, and I don't want them to be easy. She has a version of that of she's the person who locked herself away for such a long time. And now she's kind of trying to say, nope, look, I'm back. I can be a good person again. I can be a hero again. And in a lot of times that story, it means everyone says, OK, the past is forgotten. You know, you're, you're back. Yeah. And here it's like, no, you 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 still did all these things. You let those people die on the plane. You you. You, you you know, were a horrible alcoholic for a long time, and it, it still is going to affect her and affect how everybody else sees her. Yeah, and I, I really love that in that story, the person who's saying that most is Elena, who she's so in love with and yeah. who she so desperately wants to be with. And Elena is seeing, like, yes, I love you and I want to be with you, but sometimes that's not enough and who you are mm-hmm. is terrifying and I don't know that that's safe. Yeah, and I, it was so effective, I thought, that Elena doesn't, like, say you were wrong to do that. You know, she says, mm-hmm. I understand why you let those people die on the plane. I can't even blame you. I just can't sleep at night thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I definitely, you know, the deep I'm not sure about. I very much hope Maeve and Elena get to have a happy ride off into the sunset, you know, redemption by the end of the last season. Um, Me too. Before if only for queer love. This, what'd you say? Said if only for queer love. Yeah, exactly. It would be really nice to have not, you know, one more barrier queers kind of idea here. Yes, please. Um, so I think the one last thing we want to talk about, which is kind of religion and politics and how institutions deal with power. I think this is an idea you brought up. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting the way that we get the difference between how the corporation of. Oh, crap. What's it called? Bot. With the V. Bot. Thank you. 
the corporation of Vought deals with power versus the church deals with power versus um, Starlight's church and how they deal with power and kind of how each of them has their own sphere of influence Mm -hmm. and kind of where the morality of each of those places lie when it comes to how they present themselves and how they present others to the public in general. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the, um, so much of this is about, do you believe the institution? You know, and I think that kind of what they were getting at was that Vought has its own kind of Christian church that it's connected to, but even Vought itself is kind of a religion for people. And Mm -hmm. Homelander and Stormfront are able to kind of generate that, that same kind of, um, you know, religious devotion almost that leads people to be radicalized and leads people to, you know, do all these things for them. And it's, I think from the very beginning, the show has wanted to comment on that. And I'm, I'm really curious to see where it goes in the next season. Yeah. I, I'm especially interested to see where the church whose head guy has had his head blown up. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to know what that church is about. Yeah. Cause they, they're very connected with Vought, but they're not Vought. Yeah. And- I'll be honest. I thought the idea was going to be that they were behind. Uh, I it was my theory uh, a couple episodes ago that, or from episode seven, that the AOC character, um, Congresswoman Newman, was involved in blowing people up. I didn't think she was actually doing it herself. I thought she was just kind of pulling the strings, um, or maybe she. I think. I, I think. Yeah, I think that's what I said. Um, but I thought the church was involved in it. And so when she just blows up the person at the church, I was like, uh, oh, okay. Well, that. That takes them off the table entirely. <laughs> well, yeah, so let's and, end with her. What What is your thought on a Congresswoman Newman, who we, we get to learn a lot more about this season? I am both fascinated and disturbed by her. I I love that they took such a hard parallel to AOC. They were uh-huh. not shy about saying, this is AOC. I don't think anyone in America who is interested in politics could watch this and not see AOC. Mm -hmm. I do find it a little problematic that they're like, okay, this is AOC and she's blowing up people's heads. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're pretty, I feel like they're being much more politically critical of, because I feel like so much of the, um, what happens on Vought and what happens from the, you know, first super, uh, Homelander and then Stormfront is so reminiscent of a lot of the rhetoric you hear on the right that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a lot less critical of it coming from because it feels like that this is more sort of like tongue in cheek. Imagine if your, you know, uh, favorite liberal superhero actually was a, a person who could go around blowing things up yeah. um, and showing her a little bit off the deep end as well. But I, but I hear what you're saying. Um, but I, I think I'm not quite I, as bothered by it. Yeah, I think it just kind of draws a false parallel to say mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay, so the right wing are Nazis and they're actively racist and hatred. And the left, oh, those those crazy leftists, those that they're working that <laughs> secret agenda and they're blowing people up from behind the scenes. Like, yeah, that, I, I didn't that feels a little way, conspiracy I- theories to me. <laughs> I think it's going to be – I think the writers are pretty solidly on one side in that regard. Agreed. Um, but but let, let's see where they go with it to be sure. And I, I think that's that's to me one of my favorite theories going into it is what do you think is happening with AOC? With uh, let's, let's, Congresswoman Newman is the actual character name. Uh, yes. And by the way, just for anyone who doesn't know, um, uh, AOC, we're referring to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's the young woman from the Bronx who's recently elected a congresswoman, has been um, – very active, very progressive leader and become just the utter hatred of the, the right in this country, in the United States. Um, but yeah, so what, what do you think is actually happening? What's, what's her deal? What's her motivation? Where, where's her powers coming from? What, what's her agenda? I don't, I don't know about her motivation. I assume her agenda is power because that seems to be the agenda of everybody in this show. <laughs> uh, and I, I can't really blame any of them for that because – being an unpowered person in a world where powers exist, I would want power too. Uh, yeah. But I do, I have my little side theory that we saw the girl escape from the like mental, in- or not mental institution, but the institution of the soups that they were like experimenting on. Right. We saw her blow soups, up yeah. a few people. Uh, so I think that they are related somehow because they have very similar powers and we haven't really seen that. 
Yeah, I, I think that's true. Yeah, I, I certainly I think we were supposed to think that that woman was the one who was doing all of this. Yes, um, and I, I certainly so, did. Yeah, I think AOC is able to make just the head blow up and that person blows up the whole body, if I remember correctly. But right. it, it'd be interesting to see. But I um, wonder if that is because AOC is or Congressman Newman is yeah. more controlled. Yeah. yeah. Well, so here's my question. Do you think because um, the first time we saw a head explode was back when they were meeting with the person from the CIA mm-hmm. who was telling them the inside story about the coup within Vought. And that was in episode like three or four. Yes. Do you think Congresswoman Newman was doing it all the way back then? I do. Okay. I think that was See, her. I, my theory is that from the beginning, uh, or I should say from the first time we realized that Compound V, everyone now knew about, and most people were like, you know, it was starting to be distributed pretty widely, or like they were talking about doing that. On the Pandavision podcast, we're talking about, so clearly Butcher's going to try and take it, right? Butcher's right. going to try and become the evil to fight the evil. I think that's what Newman did. I think that at some point in all that, she realized, like, you know, the Congress stuff is not going to work. This is not going to be the way to do it. We have to, you know, fight fire with fire. And so she found a way to take Compound V herself. Um, I think it'd be very, it'd be very interesting if you, you know, you're right. Maybe she's had it all along. Maybe she was a soup all along. And somehow they just never figured that out. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's, like, it's very hard for me to judge what she's doing now when there's so many different ways that could go. Yeah. I think there's a big opportunity for her to be a soup all along if she is related to mm-hmm. the person that we saw escape the asylum place. Um, just because with sisters or twins or whatever they may be relation-wise, it could be easy to say, yeah, we gave it to one of our kids. Yeah. And just kind of let the other one slide under the table. Well, I mean, isn't the implication that the other one only got it as an – I think all, all the – well, actually, no, because I was going to say all the people in the institution only got it as an adult, but Lamplighter was there, and he certainly got it as a child. Yes, but Lamplighter was also a guard there, so – Oh, that's true, yeah. I didn't get the sense that they had all gotten it as adults, though. I just got the sense that they were people who maybe hadn't controlled it or hadn't mastered it um, mm-hmm. or who would be beneficial for Vought to research. Um, I, I said I keep saying we should wrap up, and one more thing occurs to me. Um, <laughs> let's just finish up though by talking about Lamplighter because I, I was very sorry he died because I thought he was such an interesting character. Agreed. Um, especially when you talk about the redemption arc, because to me, he's the exact opposite. He's the person who everyone goes in ready to kill him, and then he doesn't even get a redemption arc because he doesn't believe he deserves it. You mm-hmm. know, and that that. It doesn't give him a redemption arc, but it's some, especially because he winds up killing himself selfishly instead of trying to help everyone. But it, to me, there was such interesting moments of when um, uh, Mallory, the the older woman whose grandson, whose grandkids were killed by Lamplighter um, in such a horrifically brutal way, you know, has the chance to kill him and decides not to. Yeah. He's, he's almost someone who I don't think needs a redemption arc because what he did... I mean, he needs it for other reasons, because he was clearly on the side of Vought and going to kill someone. But mm-hmm. for the action that he took, that was an accident. He didn't mean right. to kill those kids. And yes, he still did it, and that's still terrible. But it doesn't feel right to make him, like, earn redemption in the same way that the Deep needs to earn redemption. Because what yeah. the Deep did was intentional and malicious. I mean, he's the – I mean, I think you can see it two ways. On one hand, I, I kind of see what you're saying, especially because you know, he's the – kind of almost like maybe Black Noir is. You know, he's the devotee. He does what they tell him. He doesn't ask questions. And, you know, they told him there's an evil person behind that curtain. Go ahead and do it um, or whatever it was. It doesn't make you think like, you know, if you tell me to shoot the person behind this wall because you promised me they're evil – and I don't take the time to make sure that there's actually someone evil behind that wall. I'm not sure that I can just call that an accident, you know? Yeah. Like, there's certainly some degree of culpability. But I think you're right that part of it's that Mallory realizes, yeah, that, that I think Mallory has been holding on to this whole time, this image of the guy rubbing his hands gleefully, being like, wahaha, I burned up those kids. Wasn't that great? Yeah. And, and clearly it's not that. And clearly he's been torturing himself and so racked by guilt ever since it happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I think maybe that's 
that's the thing that the deep hasn't gone through yet. The deep has gone through. I, I think the deep's regret isn't I did this terrible thing to a colleague and that's wrong. I think the deep is still feeling I did this terrible thing and I lost all my nice stuff. Yeah. And he has to get to that point of what I did was wrong, not just that it cost me. It had consequences. Yeah. And I do think we almost got him there when he was assaulted, but I really appreciate that he wasn't just brought there by for, yeah. by virtue of having it happen to him. I think he needs to sit with it more and he needs to actually look at the effects that it's going to have on Starlight and see mm-hmm. what he did. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, this has been great. Any other kind of last thoughts before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. Just I love this show and I'm really excited for Jensen Ackles in season three. Oh, yeah. that That's going to be real good. I'm really excited to see where that goes. Well, um, Abby, thanks so much for uh, being a part of this. I know it's not ready for air yet. You're just recording some of the initial episodes. But um, tell folks a little bit about your uh, Disney podcast that's coming up and that we'll uh, try to let them know about once it's ready to go. Yeah, so it's a Disney Pixar podcast. We're taking two movies every time and putting them head to head bracket style to see what is the ultimate Disney Pixar movie. Um, And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I will make Matthew have me back on to talk about Disney stuff when we get a little closer to releasing. Sounds good. I definitely want to talk about um, Frozen 2 and how that movie challenges toxic masculinity ideas Uh, of like what a hero is. So. Lot, lot of good Disney ethical questions. Um, can you give us a sneak preek? What was the, um, what brackets have you recorded on so far? So far, we've done Cars vs. Coco, okay. and I, I today think I know who wins that. It it was a pretty obvious choice. Uh, today's <laughs> was much more contentious. We recorded on Meet the Robinsons versus Monsters Inc. Oh, I have not seen Meet the Robinsons, but it it, <sighs> it strikes me as hard to think someone's going to beat Monsters Inc. Because that's a very good movie. We're definitely having a movie night. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'll look forward to that. All right. Well, thanks, folks. Um, Let us know what you think. As always, um, we do this podcast because we want to start this conversation. So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Superhero Ethics. You can also find us all on the Stranded Panda Network. Um, If you go to strandedpanda.com and then click on um, Superhero Ethics, you find all sorts of information about how to contact us. And then through there, you can find all the other great Stranded Panda podcasts, some of which I'm on, some of which other great people are on. There are all great ways to look at different media, different stories, all the things that geeks love and care about. So thank you, everyone, uh, for being a good audience. Please keep your masks on. Please go out and vote and have a great day. Thank you. <laughs>